0: Life's good. Never on. Whoa.
1: Hard. Hardly. Yes. Come on, friends. Life's good. Got real close. I hair high, right? Trying to hit two thirds.
0: Have they saved oh. it for oh. her? Oh. Yes, they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham Scott. Physically distancing, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean,
1: it's been such a big day. So much news out there, and I'm sure you want to get to our number one story right off the bat. Yeah. Dominion City Brewing has announced <laughs> eco-friendly six-pack rings. They'll be compostable. Nice. No more of those plastic rings rattling around my, my trunk. Uh,
0: I think it's great. Yeah, that's a positive development, and a day that we haven't seen a lot of positive developments here in the midst of the COVID 19 pandemic oh yeah uh, did did something else happen yeah there's other things have happened so uh oh, today right. has been such a whirlwind day so much has been going on in the world of curling scott we can't do this ourselves we had to call in the big guns to help us with this episode very excited to welcome in curling geek doug how are you doing quite well i too am happy to hear that the, the wee turtles are now safe
2: <laughs> the beer drinking in the Ottawa area. So.
0: I'm excited, well, Scott, for that, that you'll be able to put other things in your trunk now. I know.
1: I got to make sure I can recycle the ones that are already there. <laughs> All
0: right. So so let's get into this whole thing. I, now, Doug, before we get into it, I, I just want to sort of set this up that I've been following you in terms of the updates around COVID. You, you've done a lot of really good work. In terms of tracking everything you know in the past it was team trackers now it was then it went to at the start of this club closure trackers and now you have your club reopening tracker as long as just as well as just sort of a database of clubs across the country and i would set it up that you are probably best suited even maybe more so than some of the folks if not everyone at curling canada a sense of where this country is in terms of club-level curling, just pure numbers of facilities and the viability of the sport at the club level. Is that a fair assessment for me to make?
2: I think that might be a slightly extreme assessment to make, but (laughs) I I do consider myself fairly well-informed. I I have found it to be a little depressing over the last three or four months. I normally like to track the the joys and the ups and the wonderful (laughs) things in curling, and, and lately I've been tracking a whole lot of depressing news. But uh, I think it's it's important to it's important to have data. It's important to keep track of these things. And uh, sometimes I think there's a lot of optimism at the highest levels of the sport or focus on the the really visible stuff, the high performance guys, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's there's a need to to keep an eye on the club level, and that's uh, truly where my heart lies in the sport is the club level. So that's where I spend a lot of my time.
0: Yeah. So where, where are we at the club level right now, just in terms of numbers, right? Because Curling Canada, whenever you look at their site, they talk about over 1,000 clubs across the country. And that's what the commercial says, too. But where are we in terms of just broad numbers? So I suspect, so I'm doing my curling census right now. I'm
2: aggregating data from the Curling Canada site, which is woefully out of date, um, from each of the, the member association sites, the provinces and territories, which are a little hit and miss. Some are, are better than others in terms of the online Long story short, we're going to come in somewhere around 900 active clubs. I, I just – I can't see or find 1,000 active clubs still going in Canada right now.
0: Wow. That's – yeah. Yeah, that's – so that that is a contraction though, right? Like would you – based on your observations over the past few years that we have contracted numbers-wise? Uh, considerably. So yeah. I haven't found a
2: lot of new clubs opening Um so the Curling Canada list has 970 clubs, again, a fairly stale list on there. Um, I've positively identified that uh, it's looking about 50 or so of them have closed. Um, there's probably some other ones that I'm still tracking down and trying to isolate. And then there there's, are a large number of clubs that have sort of fallen off the uh, governance radar. So there's a bunch of mm-hmm. smaller clubs, typically, that are no longer part of their member association, no longer part of Curling Canada, uh, some of them still exist. They're still throwing rocks in various facilities here and there. Um, harder to track down. They tend to be smaller. They almost certainly don't have web pages. A few of them have got stale Facebook pages. So I'm I'm trying to track those down. But absolutely, I mean, no surprise to anyone. There has been a contraction in curling. And you know, one of the I don't know backdoor reasons for this curling census thing here is I, I do fear. I Guaranteed, we are going to lose clubs due to COVID. There, there's no doubt. In the next two years from today, some clubs will have closed because of all of this. Um, I think it's important to keep track of how many there are, who's who's still going, who's still up, who's still not. So part of the census is definitely uh, a before statement on what did curling look like today. And then hopefully two years, we'll find out that that uh, that contraction was as small as possible.
0: Yeah, I think it's a really worthwhile project for that reason. Uh, It's just sort of knowing what the impact on the sport is. It'll be easy-ish to track the elite teams right and certainly in, in context and we'll get to it later of the announcement today of, of what happens to those elite players but the you're right the stuff at the club level is going to be a lot harder to track and uh, i'm hopeful too that on an individual basis that clubs are really forthcoming about numbers because i'm curious to see if you know so, so scott and i we play at the ottawa curling club which is pretty much full uh normally uh, there's a couple open spots on the saturday morning league But I'm curious to see if there's what the decline in memberships are and if something like this actually does lead to an increase in mixed doubles leagues, for instance, because the membership is such that financially it would make sense now potentially to run a a mixed doubles league. So, you know, having that data from individual clubs and then and then using that as part of understanding the, the broader situation across the country will be I think it'll be a really valuable resource i agree and it, it, so it's going to be tough to get firm membership
2: numbers that's one yeah. of been the, the great mysteries of canada is how many curlers mm-hmm. do we actually have there's there's various focus numbers out there i do agree with you though that i think we've had something going on in club curling for a while where a lot of canadian clubs are stuck in the the old model of very traditional league play often choose your own team make a team stick with it for the four person game for six months what have you mm-hmm. uh Their hands are going to be forced. So I think mixed doubles is going to get tried. It's, you know, it's got social distancing advantages. Uh, Curling Canada is pushing triples, maybe. Um, I think you'll see a lot more of kind of short-term type events where you get uh, leagues, or not even leagues, where nights where people can drop in, drop out, uh, where a lot of American clubs are are seeing their growth right now. Uh, New curlers are less likely to, you know, jump in and commit to a full league for a full season. But if you can get them out every third Friday for a pizza league where there's, there's no pressure... Um, we might be able to try and experiment with some new things here, so there, there could be some good things that come out of this. We might be able to get out of our comfort zone a little bit by absolute necessity. So, if you want a, a positive spin on the world, then you know maybe uh, maybe we can get some some goodness out of all this.
0: Yeah, and I mean we got to sort of call a spade a spade too, in that a lot of the curlers at the club level are older too. So you know, as those players potentially don't play in the midst of all this. It could open up ice time for these other things that you're talking about. You know, if if that segment of the club curling population takes this year off, that that provides inventory for drop ins, uh, mixed doubles, scotch doubles, triples, even even singles. Right. If you want to go just play one on one, no sweeper like there, there might be ice time available now, whereas in the past we didn't have the inventory, particularly at some of the higher traffic clubs yeah that's a great point you might
2: even find you got uh more desirable times for your learn to curls i mean at my club at least the learn to curls are often forced into early saturday morning late sunday night sort of the the unscheduled time but if you could offer it you know friday night date night uh learn to curls there's some uh, there's some potential there
0: yeah or even i mean if kids are still off school or i mean in ontario at least they've proposed it's, it's certain parts of the province at least that uh or in ottawa that Students would be in two days a week. So in the other three days, you know, if, if there's no daytime senior leagues, then maybe you could have kids like spot for kids to, to go out and play uh, just just a lot of ideas. And, and hopefully that the clubs take advantage of the opportunity to uh, if they are open to to make the most of it, not say, well, we have a reduction in league play and well, that there's nothing we can do. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, So let's get into the Return to Play guidelines. On Monday, Curling Canada released their long-awaited Return to Play guidelines. It is a 29-page PDF document available on the Curling Canada website, curling.ca. As we record this, it's still the top news story. It's uh, not hard to find. I will just say out front that... Uh, this is, I think, a very difficult thing for Curling Canada to try to produce. They don't have a large staff, and there are just stylistic and, and sort of copy-editing things in here that are obviously problematic. Um, you know, they, they thought they would get it out in June. They did not. And even though it's out early July, there there's just obvious mistakes in it. And we'll just sort of say that and acknowledge that that exists, but I really want to just focus on the content of the curling specific stuff. Uh, Cause obviously they cut and paste from other sites. There's a thing in there about uh, that. They clearly took from soccer Canada, for instance uh, that sort of stuff is in there. It happens. Okay. Let's move on. Uh, that's sort of my disclaimer for if you go read this document, is that fair? Like you guys read it. Did you guys notice the same thing? I did I... not. No. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: I, I, I... I did notice a number of things. I think you – I mean, they've got a limited staff, and I think you, if you've got a bias towards getting this out quickly, which I think was important, yep. um, if anything, we were a little bit behind some of the other national sports organizations, notably the, uh, the Americans. Um, so get it out quickly. Uh, they've said all along, this is a living document. This is not what curling is going to look like in October. Um, this is their first little stick in the ground. So I, I, I'm with you. I'm willing to ignore the, the small, fussy stuff and, and focus on the, the bigger items.
0: Yeah, so, uh, so let's get into it then, and, and let's sort of take it in the order in which you would uh, go play a game. So uh, first step of, of showing up at a curling club, uh, they are recommending first off that uh, if possible, like, depending on local situations, that change rooms, locker rooms be closed, that players are encouraged to show up uh, in their gear. Uh, ready to go and that they show up really close to the time of the game to minimize the amount of people in the club at a given time. There's also things in here about within the club having directions uh, for the movement of people throughout the club, not dissimilar to what we're seeing in grocery stores across the country with arrows on the ground to distinguish where uh, you should walk directionally basically no lingering around uh, the the ice uh, or the, the, before you go out onto the ice um, they're calling for all buildings to be fully cleaned prior to opening keeping ongoing logs of all cleaning uh, no water dispensers anywhere in the club unless it's touchless uh, also calling for high touch point areas to be cleaned frequently um, and you know sanitizing, basically everything in the club Uh, am i missing anything else here guys in terms of the showing up to play your game that stood out to you no those all seem logical i think the i don't know
2: what order you want to get to these things and i think right away it 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 shows one of my biggest problems with the documents there's a lot of concern for the the warm room side of the universe so try and get in through one entrance see if you can generate a second exit or a different uh, way to get out of the building so that people aren't flowing through the same area all at the same time. So there's an acknowledgement that that would be a bad thing to have people walking through the same 10-foot space over and over would be bad. Uh, Then we get to the the actual cold side of curling. We sort of walk away from that and it starts to assume that, oh, (laughs) those problems that exist, you know, when you walk through the front door for all of 18 seconds, that would be terrible. So let's try and get you going out through the back door. But you can spend two hours in the house with you know, eight other people on your sheet flowing back and forth, let alone the sheets beside you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, there's there's some awkward double speak in the document. Um, and I think it comes from uh, too much optimism. But that's that's my take.
1: Okay. That's true, and it does uh, mention that local considerations are going to be different. You know, if we're talking about Newfoundland, that haven't hasn't had a case of COVID in the last two months, then rightly their playing situation is going to be different than toronto for example so uh i think you've covered everything there sean um there were some interesting ideas that uh sort of stood out to me was sort of staggering the start times so that instead of having you know four sheets of people all starting at the same time and all then being in the warm side uh, of the rink together you could have two two games start and then the next two games start an hour later. So everybody's not showing up at the same time, and and it doesn't really address in full the, the on-ice experience of, of crowding and everything, but it was an interesting take to me of the, the pregame side of things.
0: Yeah, and that was one side of it that I thought was kind of interesting too, this idea that you could stagger times. Now, I don't want to disparage people who I've played with but rotating between early draw and late draw every week uh, has been enough of a challenge for some players that having floating times just it could potentially lead to problems I don't know Uh, but you're right that that does minimize the the warm area crowding especially going out because you know before a game I always kind of enjoy it you know when everyone's standing there uh, we have five sheets at the Ottawa Curling Club so there's 40 people they're just behind the glass talking, uh, and everyone's sort of waiting to see who goes out first. Like that—that's kind of a fun moment for me, at least. Uh, but yeah, that sort of stuff is not safe. You can't do that in this environment. Uh, so staggering the times uh, would address that. Uh, and Doug, as you said, yeah, like if, if there's a way that if you only have one door at a club, it's hard to do it. But if any any club that has two doors out to the ice shack—one out, one in—that uh, sort of measure. Certainly seems like a logical step. And I think a lot of clubs have that already just to minimize the amount of uh, potential stuff that gets out onto the ice, too. Because they put the, the shoe cleaning stuff, the sticky pads and all that on one door to try to promote people to go out that door to, again, reduce the amount of, I don't know, I don't even know what we call it, stuff? Debris. 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 Uh, that, that would get out on the ice. So, uh, so okay, so let's, so let's get out. Now you're out on the ice. Uh, stones are to be sanitized between each game. Only the ice maker is to touch ice maker stuff. Uh, you're not allowed to switch stones. This I thought was kind of interesting. If you're a skip and you have a pig stone, you have that stone all, all night. Uh, you're not allowed to change. Uh, no shaking hands, no coin tosses. Uh, if you're the 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 way they describe doing a measurement in this environment, I thought was really interesting. That if you're going to measure, you got to take off your gloves, sanitize your hands, go get the measuring stick, measure, return the device, and then sanitize your hands again. If I'm playing a game this year and it's close, the team that is losing the game gets, gets the point. The point. <laughs> like that is not, that is not worth it to me. Um, and, and so these sorts of things, again, this is all about minimizing the, the touch. And one thing I'll say though, that as I was reading this, and I, I'm curious to know what you guys think that in terms of a lot, all this on ice stuff and reducing touch points, if everyone is wearing gloves, then as long as you're not touching your face, touching your, your eyes, your mouth, that, that kind of thing, It strikes me that some of the higher touch point stuff isn't as problematic, provided that people are sanitizing their gloves after each game.
2: Yeah, I don't know how easy it is to sanitize a glove. Like if you I mean, obviously, the alcohol based sanitizers we use on our skin, does it work the same on a, a leather or fabric glove? I have absolutely no idea. And then I, I ran my little sweeping test experiment, and it, it is very difficult to avoid touching your face and adjusting your glasses. And mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll get to masks later. So the the assumption that you're not going to, you know, touch your face a bunch of times, you'll be blowing your nose 17 times out there in the cold room, um, that's going to be very hard to avoid.
1: Yeah, so and I- well, one of the things that is in every curling club that I've ever been to, there's Kleenex on the ice because it's cold and. You know, you're working, and your nose starts to run. That's going to happen to everybody. So, like, it's not like at a basketball game, everybody's got Kleenex on the bench. You know, right? It's it's sort of a uh, par for the course in curling that there's Kleenex out there.
0: Yeah, I, I was talking yesterday with somebody, and and they said that. When they were reading it, they, they the impression they got was like, you know, if any, if you even have the sniffles, don't show up. And I'm like, well, that's January in this country, like it, it's impossible mm-hmm. to go outside and not come inside and have a little bit of the sniffles. That's just like your nose freezes. <laughs> like that's just the way, yeah, that's just the oh, way absolutely. it works. Um, so uh, another another thing that they noted in here uh, in terms of touch points with scoreboards that I thought was kind of interesting and something that I hadn't thought of um, that you know, it could be tough and time consuming to try to sanitize the, the scoreboard in between games. So they encouraged keeping score on your phone potentially or, or just some other way of keeping score. Uh, for me, I, my immediate thought was like, while well, the other team is talking about what shot to throw, I just like to look at the scoreboards. <laughs> and see what's going on in the other sheets. So that, that takes away some entertainment uh, for me. Uh, but just in general, before we get into positioning on the ice, uh, I was trying to think in terms of, of high touch points out there. And that is something that I think is manageable, is reducing these high touch point things. Like I say, like if, if I'm involved, measure goes to the losing team. Uh, but scoreboard yeah you can keep track somewhere else uh, you're only if you're only touching your own two stones and you're allowed to switch out stones that's uh, that's a good way to reduce a touch point uh, if water dispensers are not there that's another touch point that's gone uh, you know when you really think about playing the game I can't think of that many common touch points once the game has started
2: I agree I think the the actual touching of stuff if that's all you're worried about um, that should be fairly okay. I've got some concern about so we're going to be sanitizing the rocks, presumably using some kind of alcohol rub or spray or something. That's mm-hmm. going to get on the ice, and I don't know what the impact of that is going to be.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good point.
1: At, uh, yeah, at most of the big championships, especially after the Scotties in 2014, when they had the flu run through and uh, decimate the whole the whole event basically uh they would use uh the lysol wipes to uh to clean the tops of the stones and they'll leave a a wet residue but it evaporates pretty quickly and those don't tend to drip so you probably won't be affected too much by the ice Uh, those are supposed to stay wet and then it dries up in about a minute or two so if but if you know those are expensive if people are using a spray bottle, then yeah, you're right. it's uh alcohol in the ice is like the worst thing for it. it's uh, because it'll melt sort of the the water around it. That's one of the reasons that ice makers don't uh, don't like drinks being allowed out onto the ice shed area. so uh, that's a good thing when uh, one thing I wanted to ask you guys about was you're not encouraged to only touch your own rocks, and Sean, I know you and I playing front end, we always sort of kick the rocks for each other, or for a skip for sure, and sometimes our third. Sort of kick them over. Do you think if I kick them with my clean curling shoe, is that is that dirtying
0: the handle, or is that okay? I suspect
2: that's
1: okay,
0: but well it would have to be right because you can't have at the end at the end of every end are you only allowed to kick the rocks that you threw <laughs> right like <laughs> like because like, that like, that doesn't seem really all that feasible right so if you're Fun saying try and you know
1: forcing that but try and forcing the skips to kick their own rocks forget about it eh
0: yeah <laughs> yeah it seems like like <laughs> we'll get into this but like skips are being told don't do anything. Just put the broom down <laughs> and just stop. Like, um, so uh, so. All right, let's get into the sort of the pièce de résistance of this whole thing. I think is the positioning guide of where you are supposed to stand during a curling match. So we'll post on Twitter and on the Instagram the image that is has been uh, added at the end of the guidelines here but basically what is being suggested is that as one team is throwing you're only allowed one sweeper and that sweeper is at the uh, hog line or between the house and the hog line the other sweeper is on the backboards behind the thrower when the individual throws the other team which will be stationed in predetermined spots the two sweepers about the middle of the ice the thrower the next thrower at the hog line, they are to move behind the other team while the rock is going down. Uh, skips are not allowed to sweep anything. This is clearly a front-end rule uh, that you know, <laughs> front-end players just don't want skips pretending like they're trying anyway. This is just a codification of that. And then the team that is not throwing, that skip is not allowed to sweep anything. Uh, not the other team's rock behind the T-line, not their own stone, something that has been contacted. They have to stay at least at the hack, preferably behind the hack. But the rules do say the furthest forward they can come when they don't have control of the house is the hack. So this is something that I think this is sort of the general idea that has been thought about for a while now. Uh, Doug, what do you think of this guideline and the way that curling Canada has mapped it out here in this document. They are assuming such a perfect level
2: of ballet like coordination (laughs) between eight curlers for two hours to keep everybody two meters apart. And I don't even think it works if you do it perfectly. Um, I, I think this is just overly optimistic and naive and I, I could actually support this little ballet and scheme because you're trying to keep people two meters apart as much as possible I think you need to acknowledge that that's just not going to happen. And I really wish, and this is my, my big thing here, I wish they'd said put masks on. So if you, yeah. if you think about the this, I mean, I'm looking at the diagram now. And so the simplest one to think about is, okay, you've got the, the skip controlling the house who's standing on the button with her broom. You've got a skip eight feet behind her waiting behind the hack. Um, first off, you're going to have to really work to overcome you know, 20 years of instinct to jump out there and sweep a rock. It's going to be hard to, yeah. to, to beat that out of yourself. But So you've got two skips there, they're standing there. You've got your, your power sweeping front end, following a rock, call it to the button. As I'm sweeping that rock to the button, my skip has to get two meters away, magically, so scoop to the side, and then I'm going to keep on sweeping whatever, you know, let called a hack weight hit, back through to the hack. That other skip's got to scurry out of the way, but not in the same direction as my skip. So you've got three people all crowded somewhere between the button and the hack and the scoreboard Mm -hmm. and for them to stay exactly two meters apart the entire time, it's just, it's, it's virtually impossible.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And not to mention too, that this is a one sheet. This is my, this has been my big question the whole time too. This is a one sheet diagram. So they say that, so the, the, people who aren't playing should always be on one side. So if you have four sheets, sure, everyone's going to be on sort of one sideline and, and two sheets will never come together. Great, as long as the other sheet doesn't throw a wide turn in that direction. And then the, the sweepers who are standing there are right next to somebody who's going hard on a stone on the next sheet over. Absolutely. Well, and even the, in their diagram, they've got the uh,
2: the waiting team is on the left-hand side and conveniently I'm throwing a wide out turn. Yeah, so, you know, as far away from you as possible. If if I change the call to an intern, where do you go? Yeah,
1: yeah. I, we've had lots of instances where we're standing as close to the sideboards as possible, and a sweeper runs into us like at the hog line, because Absolutely. because they're trying to stay out of the way of their thrower. Like uh, it's it's very very difficult.
0: Yeah, and you see and you see like you see it all the time, certainly at the club level that you. When that happens, if you notice in enough time, you'll, the, the sweepers will walk to the other side of the sheet so as to get out of the other team's way. So yeah, without that, that is going to be very problematic. Another thing with this is the, it's the same thing with the skips. They're assuming that you know you enter the house in one direction and leave the house in another direction. Well, don't leave the house when the sheet next to you is entering the house or vice versa because then you're right next to the skip in, in that side uh, from, from the sheet next to you. Also, they're saying the next thrower for the other team should be at the hog line, which to me means that the person who's not sweeping the stone, if it's the lead second stone, then the second can't sweep that stone. Because if they're the one who has to be at the hog line, they have to stay behind so they can get that hog line spot. They can't cross everybody to come back to that spot. So that that's another element of this that I think needs to be taken into account mm-hmm. is I just say, Doug, the, the organization that this document assumes on the part of all the players and the, the delicate choreography of it. And it's not even just eight people. It's if it's three sheets, because, you know, let's say this is a center sheet in a three sheet club. You need all 24 people to be doing this perfectly for two hours, which If anyone's ever been in a curling club for two hours, nothing is done perfectly.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. Well, and then even, you know, in fairness, I mean, if you peel a high guard and it goes flying off the side, who's going to go catch it? Like we've hired people to go catch rocks. They're flying into other sheets. You're going to, you know, it's the nature of the game.
0: Yeah. So that does bring up the issue then of masks. So uh, Scott and I, we live in Ottawa, Uh, Doug here in Kitchener, Uh, certainly here in Ottawa masks as of Tuesday morning, were made mandatory in the city, in indoor settings. I believe that's the case where you are, Doug, isn't
2: it? I, I think we had our vote at effectively the same time as you guys. So yeah, mandatory okay. indoors uh, until at least the end of September, highly likely to be extended.
0: Okay, so masks, especially in a curling club, are, are I think, a good idea. You know, the, Based on everything I've read about this disease uh, and the way it gets transmitted – it it likes places that don't have the greatest ventilation and there's no sunlight. Hello, curling clubs. Um, oh, it, it also
2: it also seems to like the
0: cold. So, yes. Mm-hmm. So, you know, curling clubs just, you know, just really a great spot for it. So the idea of a mask to reduce the, the droplets in the air is a good idea. One of the questions, though, uh, and let's start with sweeping, because Doug, you've been doing your experiments with sweeping with a mask on how feasible do you think it is having, having run some experiments?
2: It's fine. I mean,
0: especially for like a club level athlete,
2: I'm not, you know, I'm middle-aged man, not particularly fit. I I swept for a couple hours on again, off again, playing along with the game. Mm -hmm. Most of the time I I sort of forgot I was reading through a mask. Um, It does, it gets a little bit damp um, and it may fog glasses. So I was doing it outdoors in the sunshine, 20 some odd degree weather. Um, in a curling club that that moisture on the mask might be an issue i think that's easily dealt with you just need to bring multiple masks and swap it out periodically in the game Mm -hmm. Uh, and fogging glasses you know anyone who wears glasses it it eventually kind of you deal with it so (laughs) i i don't see a problem at at the club level with with wearing a mask Mm -hmm. while sweeping Um,
1: yeah i i echo your sentiments i think it's definitely doable uh the glasses fogging is a problem that I have uh, and I've seen some solutions out there where you can use K tape, the kinetic kinetic tape that they use for, you know, taping your muscles or whatever, and uh, sort of do that on your face to seal the top from the moisture getting out the top. Cause that's where, where the glasses getting fogged up is coming from. So, and that tape, like it, it sticks well, but it comes off really easily too.
2: Right, so if you can just redirect the airflow out the sides to the bottom.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, as a man with an ever-increasingly large beard, uh, I do get like a dent, <laughs> a dent in my beard, but uh, I'm not so vain that I would rather not have a dent in my beard than, than uh, spread this disease. So I, I'm I'm for the mask, and I think it's a very good idea.
0: Well, yeah, another I, question I would have, though, about the mask is with respect to communication, uh, it, it, could it inhibit communications? I have a hard time hearing specific people in curling clubs anyway, because it's already so echoey and loud in there. Uh, if if you know people are wearing a mask, is, is there a potential that it could hurt communication? Not that that's sort of at the forefront of anything. And by no means am I suggesting that we shouldn't wear a mask because of that, but is that a potential another wrinkle in the discussion? I think that's a fair point. I think I mean it's
2: definitely going to reduce the volume. It's going to muffle things a little bit. I mean you notice it even now. If you know I'm wearing them when I go to grocery stores or whatnot, and it you know it impedes communication in a quiet room from six feet away. So at a curling rink, I I think it'll be a problem. I think uh, we might all turn into Brian Cochrane and get little whistles or something. I don't
1: know. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's a great uh, opportunity for curling to uh, try and innovate a little bit. Uh, why do we all need to be screaming all the time? Just because Russ Howard did it. <laughs> like, uh, I I know, Sean, when you and I play together and I'm skipping, I'll wiggle my broom.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, unfortunately, you've only got one sweeper in this situation, which I think we'll talk about. But uh, as the if I was the lead sweeper with you, I would always be looking up to see for check for visual cues and i think that's sort of going to have to be something that club players evolve to as well giving more physical signals visually as opposed to audibly
0: yeah i think that's going to be part of of whatever goes on i do like the idea of each maybe each skip gets a distinct sound like so uh (laughs) you know a different sounding With i don't know I choose a uh, a Wooga horn. (laughs) Someone can get the rubber ducky squeeze. Yeah. (laughs) So, okay, so in an environment with masks, does this seem a little more feasible? Does it allow for a situation where we don't have to be so... Obviously, you, you still want players to be careful about where they are on the ice, but does the mask allow for these variables that we talked about at the start, where you know, in the diagram, yeah, they're throwing an outturn, but if you're throwing an intern, you're gonna be right next to them. Does that alleviate some of our concern about the gaps that exist within this diagram?
2: For me, it does. I mean, so if you read the, the Public Health Canada guidelines, they specifically say, if you cannot maintain two meters, switch to your, use a mask. And that's exactly the situation we're in here. So I thought I thought it was curious for curling. Well, so that when USA curling came out with their guidelines, they started out with the exact same statement as curling Canada, where they said, oh, it's up to the clubs, follow local regulations, et cetera, et cetera. And then three weeks later, they, they flipped it over and said, no, you have to wear masks while you're competing. Mm-hmm. I fully expect curling Canada is going to have to flip. I mean, it's it's very political, this whole mask discussion. I don't understand why, but it <laughs> is. Um I think it's it's an absolute must, and I I would feel more comfortable with this diagram if everybody had a mask on. I think the the little incidental foibles, the you know five second duration where you're you're getting too close to somebody, you know the the research seems to show, the scientists seem to say that if you got a mask on, then you can tolerate those those small little bumps.
1: Right, I I agree. Making it up, leaving the decision up to the club, is a bit of like it's a cop out by Curling Canada saying oh, well, we'll let you guys decide, which then puts the pressure on the boards uh, boards of directors or the membership at certain member-run clubs, uh, and it puts, puts people who want to curl, and if they don't feel comfortable wearing a mask, then the club says, oh, sorry, like the membership is fine with it. That's not right. Nobody should be forced out of curling because they don't feel safe playing. Right. We talked we've talked about this in other contexts, Sean, but uh, in order to make everybody feel safe, I think I think you're right, Doug. I think they will mandate masks Uh, as more cities get on board with this. uh, I I think it's a no brainer. And uh, seeing seeing it in the miscellaneous considerations section, uh, I, I think, is a huge cop out by Curling Canada.
0: Oh, yeah, we'll get to cop-outs. I have a few more of those uh, that are in this document. Um, so let, let's also talk about this idea that now there's only one sweeper. We're going to, at the elite level, that's kind of what's happened anyway. I mean, both of them are there, but only one person is sweeping at a time. The difference now is only one person can go with the rock. So the person who's not going to be sweeping is expected to stay behind the thrower and then move out uh, to the the position after the throw. I get this from just sort of, again, the, the need to distance as somebody who plays front end, primarily plays front end. I'll be honest. I'd rather play with three people. Like the standing around in a curling club is not fun. I'll say. Right. Mm. So I, I don't know. I, I, I wonder, is there a way to even just let that person trail the rock like eight feet behind it or something? Like, I, I don't know. like th- This idea of only allowing one person to go with the rock, I, I understand the, the health guideline part of this. Is this something that could potentially hurt people's enjoyment of the game to the point where they don't want to play?
2: I think that's an excellent point. Because, um, it, it, I mean, it's worse than just standing there. Because you're not just standing there. You have to like do this little kind of triangle, walk up behind the thrower, then angle over to your little safety zone, and then angle back again. Right. And you're sort of, you're sort of you know, marching around the square.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think, Sean, that if it's hard to say to curling clubs, play three-person leagues and only register that number of curlers, because we're going to talk about finances, but uh, you want to get as many people signed up to the club as possible. And this is a way to keep four people in, in the game. And it's the only way to do it as far as I'm concerned with the health guidelines that are in place. So if you want to say, Oh, your fee is going to go up by a third and have three player teams. I, I don't know. Where the trade-off is there
0: yeah it, it's a tough one i wonder too that it, you know say you know as someone who plays front end i'd almost be willing to say to the other person like let's split off the games and uh you know you'll play half i'll play half or maybe like you know a third of the games were both there a third of the games one of us a third the other one i like i don't know like so that that is just something that sort of that has crossed my mind uh, in looking at this social distance thing in terms mm-hmm. of just pure enjoyment of the game. Uh, so in terms of enjoyment of the game, the other major component of the guidelines, of course, is the post-game situation. Essentially what Curling Canada has done here, in my opinion, is punt this to the provinces, which is, I think, fair to to do because you can't have a set guideline for what to do in club lounges when all those lounges are governed by provincial uh, liquor laws and provincial guidelines in terms of gathering together. So essentially what the document says is follow provincial guidelines for food handling, for liquor uh, sales. Uh, the one specific thing they say is uh, you know if there's a table for eight people set up or a table that would normally fit eight, put four chairs there instead of eight. Uh, <laughs> You know that's basically oh. the only specific thing in there, and that's yeah, ridiculous,
1: I, right? It's <laughs> utterly
2: ridiculous. <laughs> First off, you're not getting your disease. I mean, I do agree that for the for the warm room, it is a restaurant, it is a bar. Just follow what your local guidelines are for restaurants and bars. I mean, the where curling needs to you know add their expertise is out on the cold side, and they they've made an attempt at that. On the yeah. warm side, just, yeah, do what the local rules are. That that line about chopping out four of the chairs at the table is just <laughs> ridiculous.
1: Yeah. And and something Sean and I, you and I have talked about a lot is you mentioned, oh, maybe I won't, won't enjoy it if I'm not sweeping the whole time. I, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy it if I'm not able to sit down after and have a drink with the team and talk about the game, right? Right. Yeah, and... get in your car and go home. Thanks for coming out. Because, because like, nobody really playing at the club level is doing it because they're going to the Briar or going to the Scotties. Yeah, hey, going... I, I still have a chance. <laughs> we, <laughs> we
0: all just, have a could
1: chance. This should be my year. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. It could be.
0: Uh, <laughs> Probably have better chance but this year than some other years, year. right? Absolutely. Yeah, oh, well,
1: I should... Get in touch with my friend in Newfoundland. <laughs> and see what uh, see what he says about a team. Greg uh, Smith.
0: Greg Smith already filled his team. <laughs> so, uh, but like a big part of the
1: experience of curling is not people going there because they're awesome at curling. It's going to get out and a little bit of a workout on a Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and then you know sitting around having a drink and being social. And if yeah, this it's... isn't a part of the game is the game still worth playing? I think that's a question a lot of people are going to ask themselves.
0: Yeah. It's a social game in which the distancing takes away the social aspect of it. Mm -hmm. Right. So if I wanted to play like a strategy game here, yeah, I could play online chess.
1: Yeah. And, and even for us, uh, Sean playing front end, like we catch up in between shots yeah. Right. It's not it's not like we're talking all about curling all the time. And now I'm just going to have to stand, you know, uh, uh, what is it, like four meters away from you. And uh, uh, then we'll go home straight after.
0: So what are we doing?
1: Yeah, what are I, you I think doing here?
0: That, that's really important, right, because there's so many players who I've played with over the years who I only know from curling and I might see them outside of curling club. Like once a year, if that. And it's right? weird when you do, right? Yeah, it's, it's like- totally. It's like when you when you're a kid and you saw a teacher in the grocery store, and you're like, "Oh my god, what? What? This is totally out of context." <laughs> yeah. But that you're right. Like especially playing front end, uh, w- more so than when I've played back end, uh, the the discussion that happens not only just between you and the other front end player, but between the other team's front end, I would say ninety five percent of it in my case is not about the game that we're currently playing yeah and yeah this this does take part of that enjoyment away from it but at the same time scott it is an in-person discussion which i've had like three of in the past four months
2: that's true we might be so desperate for activity right
0: now
2: it's sort of like with all the bicycles are sold out because it's the only thing you can do yeah if you can make this work maybe but I, yeah. I think it's a good point. I mean, the enjoyment matters, and this and this feeds directly into the financial discussion. So I'm I'm a two day a week curler, and you know, spare and bonds feel outside of that. Maybe I do enjoy this new format enough to do it one day a week. But do I want to do it two days a week? You know, minus the the socializing and the, and whatnot? No, maybe, maybe not. So. That, that yeah. feeds directly into the, the, the financial discussion that, you know, how many how many people need to be turned off curling before it doesn't pay to turn the lights on?
0: Yeah, so that so let's get into that. Uh, so curling Ontario, Curl Ontario today had a webinar which uh, went very smoothly and they <laughs> uh, as part of it, they did talk about the finances of it. And, and certainly the financial realities of clubs across the country are going to be different for a variety of reasons. Property taxes, uh, just sort of building maintenance is going to be different across the country. And uh, the hydro costs are going to be different across the country. So what Curl Ontario said today was that to put in ICE in Ontario, you're looking at roughly fifteen to $20,000. And that just to turn on a generating plant is about $10,000. Now, that is going to be a little different this year given that the hydro costs have been capped By the provincial government, at least in Ontario. Uh, There's no peak midday anymore in in the midst of everything that's going on. But you're looking at a significant amount of money. And Jerry Gertz on Rocks Across the Pond last week said that in in the stuff that he's worked on, you're looking at about $500,000 a year operating cost for a club versus $80,000 to keep it closed. So... The math of that is about $420,000 to operate the club during the, the winter season. So you have to be able to generate enough revenue to cover that. Do we think that this model that Curling Canada has put out, coupled with just people's hesitancy to potentially play, along with the economic struggles that so many people across the country are facing, is enough to make it that clubs are not in a position to financially open their doors and that it'd be a better financial decision to close.
2: I I've been Mr. bad news guy on this for months now and taking a lot of abuse, but I don't think it makes sense. Like so many curling clubs, I mean, a really healthy curling club these days has got a 10% profit margin. So if you figure that if your membership's going to go down by 10% because Some chunk of your members are older and extremely high risk, or they've got any kind of comorbidities or anything. So I think if if 10% of your membership doesn't show up, uh, you're doing extraordinarily well in these circumstances. Plus, people've lost their jobs, everything else. So automatically, bunch of membership is gone. Um, All your rentals, your your weddings, your meetings, anything else you've been you know trying to scrape extra revenue, that's gone. Your bar revenue, that's gone. I just don't see how any curling club, you know, even comes close to breaking even this season, with all this going on.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's the the part of it that I gets lost is the rentals side of it. That so many clubs uh, make money on rentals and hosting bond spiels. and. Uh, even rental leagues, right? The the two clubs in Ottawa have rental leagues nights that that take up nights of the week. So it's not just losing your membership. If your rentals dry up, then there's, and frankly, at least in, in the Ottawa scenario, the OSSC, the Ottawa Sport and Social Club, which is a rental league at the Rideau Curling Club, that's the highest bar night as well. So if the rental cost goes away, and the bar costs or the bar revenue goes away. It, it really does make it that it is hard to see how a financial, how financially it makes sense. The only thing I could think of is in places where the sport or the, the club is, is hovering around a breaking even each year. Does it make sense to take a loss this year just because not having curling for the season could lead to a greater dispersal of members and that instead of losing 10% this year and then you you maintain that, maybe if you close for the year, could you lose 25% who just don't come back at all? Like, Is that part of the financial consideration, do you think, for some clubs?
2: great question yeah do you have to do you have to put together some kind of event this year maybe it's a shortened season whatever yet i mean there, there are ways for curling clubs to, to cut expenses so you could you could charge the same membership for a shorter season and, and get those compressors off and the, the expensive months um, etc do you try and run something just to kind of keep the family together so they don't run off and or, or find other hobbies they don't necessarily have to go and go curling but they might find something else to do in the winter
1: yeah i i was trying to pipe in there but i apparently was on mute so uh, I think if, if clubs are able to take advantage of some of the government programs to help them bridge the financing through this year with, with the hope, perhaps pie in the sky hope, that by 2021, 2022, uh, the situation in the world is a little bit better, then, then I think it makes sense to open um, and maybe take a small loss on this year. Uh, I think member run clubs like volunteer clubs are going to have a lot harder time than uh, clubs with staffs uh, because a lot of times those people that make up the core of the volunteer are seniors and the people that are more susceptible. So uh, like where our parents play, Sean, I think it's going to be tough for them to uh, justify opening. Whereas a business like the Ottawa club uh, or even maybe the Vancouver Club out in, in Vancouver, they have staff, you know, a manager, uh, they, they pay the staff, and they could, they could take advantage of some of the government programs a little bit more than can uh, the smaller volunteer clubs.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, too. And those, those clubs that are currently turning a profit, if they wanted to go other routes to get some sort of capital for the year, they'd be in a better position to do that in terms of just leveraging against their assets. Yeah. 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 So in terms of the, the financing, we did get a couple of questions on Twitter about this. Uh, Louie asked, Ooh, good. Uh, could a club uh, break even without bar profits? Is that possible? Uh, and will clubs not open even if curling is approved? if, it is required just to go home. So basically, the the core question is: Is the bar central to a club's financial health? I think D- yes.
2: I think yes. I mean, it, the the I, so I, I ran our curling club for many years. Um, the bar revenues have gone down steadily for the last two three decades. People are being more responsible, drinking less, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. But I did take a, a quick look and. Uh, it depends on how you spin the numbers what you're paying for. But it, it's something like twenty percent so the of the, the revenue of the net the net bar revenue contributes somewhere in the ballpark of twenty percent mm. for a for a mid size club like I was working at. That's that's huge. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that goes straight to zero. Now I, again, it depends a little bit how you work the numbers. So that money went to fund our bartender, so we had a paid bartender. Now that bartender had other duties, so it was always a bit of a you know, the The bartender was helping to clean the clubs, sort of acting Mm -hmm. as security, acting as the the greeter, all those kind of good things. Mm -hmm. So you're you're paying for that staff. Do you need to have a bartender if you don't have a bar? No, but you do need someone cleaning and greeting and acting as security and acting as the COVID czar. Yes.
0: Yeah. And and that leads to another issue of cost and finances, too, because in the call today and the webinar today for Curling Ontario, they said that it's illegal to charge a fee specific to COVID-19 which, okay, so what was recommended or suggested was that you have, say if you have club brooms that people use, instead of bringing their own, uh, that you never that you didn't charge a fee before, but now you're gonna have to sanitize them, so just implement a rental fee for those items, uh, for, for those sorts of equipment things. But it does, it does touch on the fact that it's gonna be hard for clubs to budget compared to past years not just in terms of revenue, but in terms of what it's going to take now to operate the club. If you have to, say, buy a bunch of Lysol wipes and you're using them between every draw, over the course of the season, that is going to be not a not insignificant amount of money that you have to put out. Uh, Mm -hmm. Increased cleaning of other spaces, of the front door, of high touch points. It's not just to the, the need to buy the materials and the PPE for all your employees, but also someone to do it and paying for their time to do it. So expenses are going to go up at a time when revenue is very likely to go down. So just in terms of the budgeting of that, it's, it's, you know, if you don't expect to make a profit on your normal budget in this year, given all the requirements, there's no chance.
2: Well, and also your revenue is going to be very it's hard to most curling clubs. The revenue is relatively easy to predict. So by October the first, you've got most of your members signed up, you can have a pretty darn good guess about where you're going to be at the end of the year. Right. But now we're looking at, I mean, some percentage of clubs are going to have to do at least a short term shutdown because they're going to have an outbreak. I mean, it's you've you got yeah. 900 clubs. Some are going to have an outbreak. They're going to shut down for do you shut down for a week. Do you shut down for two weeks? Do people run away screaming and not come back? Um, do we mm-hmm. get large scale shutdowns? You know, if Toronto gets reinfected with a second wave has just a whole lot of unknowns there and most curling clubs just don't have the reserves to
1: to deal with that and the question of do you keep your plant running if your shutdown is you know forecast to be two weeks but you know maybe it'll turn into four and at what point is it worth uh paying the hydro costs to keep the rink going if you'd never if you don't know if you're coming back right uh the the thing is like if you shut it down then you've got to started up again which is a huge cost
2: a uh, great point and saw a whole bunch of clubs so march 15th or so seemed to be the magic day when people started shutting down and i started tracking mm-hmm. it and there were a whole bunch of clubs that their first notice was okay we're going to shut down for 14 days and then you know once we cleared this covid silliness out of our system we'll start curling again so some clubs kept their plans on for 14 days my club was fairly aggressive and they just pulled the plug mm-hmm. uh, but yeah how do you you know so it's the second week of December you get some kind of a outbreak Ugh, do, you, do, you, do you keep the ice in for two weeks do you rip it out but plan to put it back in again that's a huge and very expensive decision
1: yeah yeah and uh, Sean I'll go to another question that we had on Twitter here from Kimberly uh, who said with the rapid COVID spread at the USCA club nationals and at the Bondsville Edmonton uh, what are we going to do for those who don't play nice or don't follow the rules uh, Doug you mentioned having a your COVID czar, be your bartender. But but how are we going to deal with people who refuse to follow the rules?
2: Well, that's another place where I think uh, Crow and Canada copped out a little bit in their document. And they, they use some very soft yeah. language about saying, you know, pretty please, ask people to stay home. It has to be a ruthless, zero-tolerance policy for people who break the rules. Enforcing that, particularly in a volunteer club. So, you know... Mm-hmm. Uncle Eddie, who's been part of the club forever, and he's one of our best ice makers, and he refuses to wear a mask because blah blah blah. Well, who, who's going to kick him out? But you, you have to kick him out. Yeah. No question.
1: So who who does that fall on the uh, the board, the club manager? It, it's
0: it's a tough question. I it's community. I think it's the community. Like th- this is where it's going to have to be a numbers thing that. And and you hope it's only one person, right? If two teams show up to a club and they're playing each other and like, yeah, we're not feeling masks, we're not going to wear them. It's 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 harder. But if it's one person who shows up, one their team should be the ones to tell that person to go home. Uh, I think that 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 is the place where they have the most agencies, the people you play with. Uh, right. You have to hold them accountable for it. But then just the overall numbers of it, uh, you know, the whole. You know, if it's one person, the rest of the people in the club can sort of band together and say, you know, you have to leave or I'm, we're not playing as long as you're here without a mask. We're not playing. And if, you know, the whole thing you want to do is play, put on the mask. And if not and you insist on being here, no one's going to play. And, and I think it will take that type of group effort, because when you see just the stuff online of people, tearing up target because target is selling masks and stuff like you it, it's really unfair to put that on one person particularly mm-hmm. in a volunteer club
1: yeah it's group shaming it has to sort of be the not shaming enforcement um i think you can shame people into it yeah i think i think it's not the worst word
2: <laughs> some of the trick will be i mean mask is obviously very on and on or off right you're either wearing a mask you're not um, well, but then you know, are you wearing it correctly? Are you you know moving yeah. up and down yeah. all the time? So if you're kind of breaking some of the gray areas, the rule, I, I I think that's a good point. You're going to need strong social norms in the club. And uh, Stephen Chenier in his uh, webinar today for Curling Ontario, uh, he made some really good threats. It's like you know, if you if you don't follow some of these rules, your club's going to get shut down. Like the authorities will step in.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and something then like you say, Doug, that the mask is very visible. But if you're having symptoms of a a fever or a cough or a winter cold, that's sometimes that's not as visible. And so you have to have instilled in the people enough to say, hey, you're sick, like, don't show up here. But I I don't think we're going to be able to take everyone's temperature at the door, you know.
0: No. Yeah, this is yeah. It's all going to be dependent on what individuals do, and then sort of how the community within a club reacts. But the, the fact of the matter is that if it's a small community where you have a bunch of people who are like masks are garbage, like they're the the sign, like all these these things that we're seeing, and sort of this pushback to masks that you see from specific groups right now if, you know, if that's 95% of a club's membership and it's a volunteer club, then that club is going to play without masks and that's just going to happen. And then the breakout that, and and if someone in that club is infected, then we will see what happened at the, the bond spiel out in Edmonton or at the, Mm -hmm. uh, at the uh, arena nationals in the U S like that that's bound to happen. If there are communities that collectively choose to ignore some of the guidelines.
1: Yeah, and I I think we saw that, Sean. Uh, An example that's coming to mind is uh, two years ago playing softball, I got a concussion, and I started wearing a helmet after that. And the league said, oh, helmets are mandatory. But nobody else – I never saw anybody else wearing a helmet. Uh, There was no enforcement of it because the players didn't care, right? So I think – uh, Doug, you can maybe talk a bit more about what was said on the webinar today, but if the players care, it will happen. And if the players don't, then we're in trouble.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, you can you can have my COVID czar, but they're not going to be there 24-7. Um, yeah. It is going to have to be that. And then the question becomes, so there's 200-some-odd clubs in Ontario. Two of them are going to disobey. So if there's an outbreak at one of those, does the province – step in and shut down those clubs or do they say Ooh, curling clubs are dangerous and shut down all the
0: clubs everyone yeah yeah i think and yeah I, everyone does i think i think everyone gets yeah. shut down in that case I governments think, I mean, aren't good at doing individual responses they do collective. Yeah, sh-
2: yeah nor should they be right They're right i mean we're we are literally in the middle of a pandemic we yep. need to bias towards safety
0: yeah for sure but that that does touch on something else that i wanted to get to and this is these liability clauses. So in particular, release of liability clause K. So if you've ever curled before, you do sign a waiver acknowledging that there is inherent risk with stepping out onto a giant piece of ice uh, that, that exists. Uh, what I find kind of troubling about some of these releases is that they now are trying to increase them to include a waiver for negligence on the part of the club that I find really strange. The person I was talking to yesterday is a lawyer and I noticed this before I did, but it, it seems kind of troubling to me that in this push to redo the waiver to include COVID and acknowledge the risk of COVID, which I understand the waiver is now also trying to, get rid of any liability on the part of the club for the club's own negligence. Uh, and that I think speaks to potentially the thought that curling Canada doesn't think that these things will be fully enforced. And they, if they're not fully enforced, you could probably make a legal argument that that's negligence on the part of the club. And here's protection for that is how I read this.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's this whole return to curl document was clearly vetted by many lawyers and it, in some ways, that's actually a great thing for our national organization to do, right? Small clerks sure. can't afford a lawyer. Get them to pay for a good lawyer. Write, write the good documents here. And I can't tell you if these are good documents or not. Any lawyer is going to protect their customer as much as possible. So is the average curler going to well, read this at all or just sign it? Will this stand up in court? I have no idea. Um, yeah. The, the curling Ontario one today at anyway, know good point here is a lot of insurance companies are considering whether or not they're going to try and exclude COVID risk. Is that a risk that you could take? Probably not. Maybe. I don't know. If you don't take that, you're not a curling club anyway. So you might as well take the risk. And then if something blows up and you get sued, well, you shut down the club and (laughs) you're you're no worse off than you were.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like it is hard to get COVID insurance sort of professionally for me. One of the things I do is part of is is traveling uh, professionally and Travel insurance, they're not putting COVID in it at all. Like they're, they're just not going to do it, uh, at least right now. So you're right that there does need to be some protection like uh, for the clubs. The, the, I just, I, it always sort of freaks me out whenever there's something that says, if we're negligent, it's your fault, is basically how I read it. That's mm. sort of yeah, free, I, I, free market I, extremism. <laughs> my,
2: my my instinct is that that kind of thing is not going to hold up in court, but again, right. I'm not a lawyer, so who knows?
0: Right. Uh, all right. So we had uh, another question here. This one for, from uh, Lorraine Davison. Uh, if the province allows 50% capacity in the lounge, do we have any tools to map out social seating? Uh, it says that we can't really see social distancing of two meters working easily, but maybe we could in a, a one meter setting. Uh, yeah, I, I don't. Some clubs, it can work, you know, big clubs. The Rideau Curling Club certainly is big enough that you could have all 40 players. If you have a full draw distanced at different parts of the club, it's big enough to do that. Uh, But most clubs in the country are not big enough to have everybody who's playing in the lounge, in the warm area at distance. So uh, if the rules are 50 percent capacity, I'm not entirely sure how this works. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen some stuff where you could have, uh, you could actually have it in your, well, maybe
2: maybe you set it up so that the the people on the the half hour later draw get to uh, use the lounge and the other people have to go home. So you could you could set it up that on alternating weeks you're allowed to socialize, maybe. Right. Um, my club is large enough. We could we could space out considerably if if we wanted to inside, um, but it it's it'd be a lot less fun to be spaced out where you're. Like I think was oh, it USA Curling had that great thing about how big of a table you need for eight people to sit around and be two meters spaced and. <laughs> you're shouting across the room at that point
0: right yeah i think it'd be great I mean, let's let's devote some of the parking lot space to outdoor winter patios
2: it, <laughs> it is a darn shame that our game is played in the winter because otherwise that would be absolutely ideal yeah yeah i, I, I just set up a taking...
0: big fireplace in the middle get some lounge chairs it'd be great
2: oh
0: fantastic <laughs> i love the
1: idea yeah sean you go by the fire pit and uh, i'll be there <laughs>
2: Well, and that gets back into the financial thing is just the, the kind of yeah, recurring yeah. expenses. But then there's a lot of these sort of one off building things, like, you know, even just up at the bar, you know, every uh, store you've gone to now has got those plexiglass barriers for the, the cashier. Yeah. Well, the bar's yeah. not going to be open, but something's going to have to be set up there and clubs are going to have to build that or install it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I even mean, they, always, they were uh, talking about, sorry, sorry, sorry. they were just to, to add on to that. They were talking about the touch point of payment, too, uh, yeah. encouraging no cash. Uh, touchless payment of, of any way you can. Sorry, Scott. Uh,
1: they were well. Something that happens at a lot of clubs, especially after the game, is there's a lineup at the bar, yeah. and uh, you know, that's obviously not a not a great thing to have in the age of COVID either. So, lots of things that uh, make to me the warm side of the club the more more problematic than if we wear masks on the on the cold side.
0: Or even, like, you win the game, you buy the drink for somebody else. Like, You're carrying it back, yeah, with yeah, your dirty you can't, hands. Hey, yeah, we shouldn't be doing that. Either. Like, it's all, yeah, there's so much uh, in here. So, uh, so in general, that, that's basically the, the document, sort of a, a summary of, of what's in the document. Uh, I'm curious, Doug, you, as you said, you've sort of been the, the grim reaper on whether or not there will be <laughs> curling this year at the club level. Having seen this document and acknowledging, yes, it is a working document, does it change your perception at all of what the likelihood is that we have curling anywhere in the country once we get into the fall? No. So my my prediction for a while – and we're talking about this
2: document as it's written, which a lot of people have pointed out is based on our our understanding of the virus from a month ago, let alone the the stuff in the last couple of days without it hovering in midair. But that aside – uh, my strong prediction is we're going to see a few regions and a few clubs open. Bad things are going to happen. There's going to be an outbreak and they're going to shut down, and the season's going to get wiped out by November. Or so it'll be uh, a Curling's version of the, the wave that hits her. I don't know what you want to call it, but all you're going to need is, you know, so 50 clubs open, three of them have something bad happen, everybody panics and shuts down.
1: Panic, probably appropriately. Right. Mm hmm. Scott, what do you think? Do you agree with that? I'm I'm getting more and more pessimistic as time goes on. Makes me a little bit not so sad that I don't have a team, actual team to play <laughs> on right now. But uh, conspiracy theory. Yeah. <laughs> uh oh. I. Yeah, I don't know if the enjoyment of the game, on the ice, at the club level, is enough to sustain. I I mean, I'll play because I do love it but to sustain enough interest to keep it going. And yeah, with everybody, right now, everybody is sort of feeling like, "Ah, I want to get out, right? But come October, November, when it gets dark again, gets cooler, there's already that sort of reluctance from some people I know to go to their late game because they're like, well, I got home from work, ate ate supper, it's dark, and now I got to go curl. I think adding the COVID layer on top of it is uh, going to be enough for a lot of people to say, "Wow, well, what's the point?"
0: Yeah, I, I so, agree with I agree with both of you that uh, the the likelihood of getting through a season as we know it is highly unlikely. Where I might inject some more optimism is the idea that we can, or that some club – or clubs across the country will try to approach this in a non-traditional way and go away from the October to March or April set schedule and have you know drop-in days, have open times where you can come, pay ten bucks, and have a sheet to yourself for a little bit. Uh, I, I think that there will be some innovative club managers across the country who will try to, again, on the assumption that they're allowed to open, will try to shift the business model of a curling club a little bit because this is the time to do it. And so any optimism I have is in that. I am not optimistic that you know the teams that I'm registered for will play the normal 20 games this year. Uh, but I do think we'll see some interesting ideas come out of this that could potentially shift the way clubs operate or some clubs operate in an effort that in the long-term could bring increased participation.
1: I I hope so, Sean. I hope so. I think you're right that there is room for innovation here. And I'm thinking of curling in the traditional way that uh, leagues are set up and the club is used. Uh, Perhaps with more people working at home, we can have mixed doubles leagues during the day uh,
0: yeah.
1: there, there's lots of ideas that I'm sure smarter people than me can come up with so uh, I, I share your hope uh, but I'm, I'm not hopeful I guess
0: Okay, uh, yeah. I,
1: I, sorry go ahead Doug
2: well I'll just again one more area for optimism is one of the ways this can all work on the financial side is that the 80% of curlers who actually show up all have to pay 25% more than usual and mm-hmm. curlers are yeah. notoriously cheap, have always played way <laughs> too little for their uh, their sporting memberships compared to other sports. So this might be a chance to break that a little bit. Yep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah. And we, we've seen it a little bit, certainly at least locally here, uh, that people I think, you know, people were paying their fees more and, and sort of or not more, but like, you know, the club said, hey, we need some capital right now and and people were willing to do that. Now that's their normal fees, but yeah, maybe people if a club is threatened will sort of band together uh, and support it financially. Uh, I do want to just add uh, before we go that this return to play document did include stuff for elite level events. I'll just run through a couple things really fast that I thought were interesting and guys, feel free to comment on anything that you noticed as well. Uh, The differences between what's going to happen at the elite championships if they happen. And the club games is that you can switch your stone. Uh, there will be a timeout, and they can sanitize the stone. They are encouraging time clock operators to take into account the extra time it takes for these uh, rules. I'm calling this the Kevin Cooey uh, provision. They uh, Same thing, there's going to be one sweeper. You can't relay uh, sweepers, so only one sweeper will be going down the ice. At a time, still no sweeping for either skip. Good luck with that in the 10th end of a tie game at a briar. The media scrum, this is one that just stood out to me as someone who cares about, you know, accessibility, uh, as particularly in the context of how Curling Canada has evolved over the past few years. Uh, Media scrum, one athlete, one pool reporter, and one videographer. Uh, I think it depends on who that pool reporter is as to whether or not this is a good idea. Um, so, you know, we'll see how that will play out, but otherwise, uh, there are some rules about when teams show up and warm up and practice and all that, that aren't really that interesting. The, the Coles notes of it is that they're trying to keep the elite players apart, uh, before the game and, and, uh, but everything else pretty much the same as what they're recommending at the club level. And that then feeds into the fact that, uh, the first four grand slams were canceled today. They're using the word postponed, which is nice, but they were canceled, Uh, Same locations for the events next year, with the exception of Las Vegas, which they have not uh, put any sort of confirmation that it'll be back in Vegas for the Open uh, next year in January. Uh, That was the big news of the day there. The offshoot of that, if we get back to the finances of curling, is that so many of the elite teams make money off of being on TV. And these events going away means that Not only do they not have the chance to win the big prizes, uh, cash prizes at these events, but sponsorship revenues could be uh, significantly reduced because they're not going to be on TV. So this is something that we'll sort of talk about in the future. But for as much as this is going to hurt the club level game and and hurting and the club level game, hurting is damaging to the sport as a whole. This also has large ramifications, too, that if the sport isn't on TV, that could hurt clubs as well, because people see it on TV, want to go try it. Now it's not going to be on TV. So it really today, a lot happened today. And I got to say, none of it was super optimistic in the world of Curly.
2: Agreed. I mean, I think this document is being very optimistic about the likelihood of a Breyer and a Scotties this year um admittedly it was written before the the slam announcement today I, curling canada has to be optimistic they've got sponsor obligations themselves the teams are counting on this the the ctrs is just an absolute disaster now heading into the next Olympic yeah. cycle with the slams gone um yeah i i feel bad for the i mean as much as i'm a club curling guy i love the pros too i feel bad for those athletes they are in for a very challenging
1: 12 months yeah and and they're a lot of them are full-time athletes now, whether that's sustainable or not, right? They, they make a lot of money from sponsorships and winning events. And uh, we see, like, the, the four big sports coming back because there's tons of money to be made by the rich owners. Whereas in curling, the owners, quote-unquote owners of every team, are the team, the, the players, and there's not as much money to be made in curling. And it's one of these sports that suffers uh, from this kind of thing because it doesn't make financial sense to put on these kinds of events. Uh, it's, it, it really stinks that they weren't able to come up with some sort of maybe a hub city format and play at least one big bond spiel, you know, fly everybody in and quarantine them for a couple weeks and then play something. Uh, but I think they're they're taking the, the road of caution, and I can't fault them for that. The, the rule of the single sweeper uh, for competitive events is pretty shocking to me that I know you said, Sean, most of the time it's just one sweeper anyway, but it, it, in a sport where it's going to be played at the Olympics, to change a rule so drastically it is, I, I don't know, it's pretty shocking to me that they've adopted that for uh, quote-unquote pros.
2: Well, but if you don't, you just don't play at all. Like, this is them desperately trying to find a way that they can play
1: at all. Yeah, yeah it's, it's one of those things that, uh, yeah, because they don't have the money to be able to afford testing uh, as regularly as needs to be done to keep the game being played the same way, so...
0: Yeah, and I'll, I'll add to that, you, Scott, you mentioned the pro sports coming back. A lot of pro athletes have also opted out of those returns in all the sports. Yeah, for, but those, uh, those pro athletes that are opting out, Sean, a lot
1: of them have made a lot of money already
0: and yeah, don't so, really need so, to play. The curlers, yeah, so, though. No, I, I would make the case that the curlers have less reason to go play then because the money is so low. Right. The, the risk versus profit is so much lower in curling versus the pro athletes that the pro athletes not playing is costing them more money. Yes, they might have more of a cushion. But, you know, if if uh, if someone like Reed Caruthers is who, who is a supply teacher as his other job, if he goes off and curler curls and gets sick, the money he's going to make curling is not going to be enough to offset the potential lost income at his job if he has to take two weeks off.
2: Yeah, like not even just getting sick, but just having to quarantine for 14 days before and after.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. and so I think that's a major factor in it. Also, there's a lot of young parents on tour, uh, both young Mm -hmm. fathers, young mothers. That is a factor. Uh, We certainly don't have any right to know any of the players' health histories, but certainly there's got to be players out there who do – uh, have conditions that make them more vulnerable to this. Just statistically, that has to be the case, I would think. So mm-hmm. you, you, you will see people opting out, I would imagine, if they try to play. And I think the cancellation today, for as much as people, you know, it is good that they canceled it and, you know, put people's health first. This is also a money thing. Uh, I think this is Roger's Acknowledging that for the Grand Slam to be profitable for them, to be worth the time for them to, to put it on or whatever offshoot of Rogers uh, runs it, that they need people in the building uh, just from a, just the finances of it, that they need those buildings full. They need to be making money in that sense. And so it's clear that logistically, these events would be incredibly difficult bringing in teams from around the world uh, and financially it wouldn't be viable as well. So, it's not surprising that they're hundreds
2: hundreds of volunteers to make these things work, right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, a a lot. uh, Yeah. It's not surprising that it's gone. I will say Catherine Henderson, the CEO of curling Canada, again, this is almost a month ago. I think now, I think Uh, time doesn't mean anything anymore, but uh, when they announced the world's in Ottawa, she was unequivocal in the press conference when she was asked that there will be a season of champions. And, the only reason I can think that she has to be that unequivocal about it is the Olympics, that without a season of champions, what is can? how does Canada qualify for the Olympics? And the, the ramifications of that, uh, you know, Doug, you know, we've talked and you've talked a lot about the focus on the Olympics and curling and and the effect that that has had on us on the sport. But, if we're in a position where clubs can't open, there's no indoor sports yet, you know, the NHL and the NBA still haven't played uh, and we get to January and there is somehow provincial championships and a Briar and a it is, it it is only because of the Olympic games. I would argue.
2: Potentially as well. I mean, they've got contracts with TSN to guarantee them content. Yeah. And you're, (laughs) Everybody on both sides has got a lot of lawyers right now reading the fine print on those. <laughs> so, what, what is a briar? If we uh, if right. we just you know rebrand the uh, the Canada Cup as a briar, does that count as a briar for TSN purposes? Don't know. Um, who who pays the cancellation fees, et cetera, et cetera? I mean, right. the, the the big scary take on all this stuff is that the Summer Olympics, Tokyo, a year from today. Eesh, I wouldn't coin flip at best Mm -hmm. but the the winter olympics two and a half years from day year and a half from today i don't know guys is there going to be a winter olympics can you pay for it when you don't have a lot of people traveling there who's going to be willing to travel who's going to pay for it
0: yeah who knows yeah i i mean the only thing that you know not to get super geopolitical sort of where it is in the world um in terms of finding money um you know the chinese the, the chinese government you know i think given what they're the ultimate reason why they want to host these things uh, i think would be more inclined than potentially some other governments but you're right it, it is this big international event and you know the chinese government did you know shut down wuhan and you know for the issues and reporting and all that 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 existed i at some point you know there, there is they, they are responsive to to things so again not to get super geopolitical but uh you you know th- it is a factor just where it is.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, they they, they will run some kind of event there and call it the Olympics.
0: <laughs> yeah, that that would be my expectation. So, uh, a lot. This is why we need the uh, the curling idea that we talked about uh, last week, Scott. Where it's like uh, chess, ch- uh, chess at a distance. Take a picture of the yeah. house, email it to somebody at another club. They set up the rocks that way. They throw it. They send you the video of it. That's how we plug. I mean,
2: if, if only somebody had some kind of website to facilitate that, that would be really, really key in times like this.
0: Mm. Do,
2: do, I, do I get to do plugs now? Or? Yeah,
0: please. Yeah, plug away.
2: Well, I did, actually, where, where, where I have been giving some thoughts, I might be making a call for volunteers. If we curl, rah, 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 uh, Curling Canada said, okay, we need, a, we need a magic coin flipping device. We can do that on our phones. And we also need really easy scorekeeping on our phones. So I would yes. probably put the call out and see if we can we can build that app free for the community and that will be my support you know from the grim reaper <laughs> of Perfect. to our top. But, but uh, I think we we've got enough uh, nerdy people in the uh, the curling community geeky people that we can we can get that built.
0: Yeah, I think so, someone could build the code for that.
2: Yeah, this is this is not a complicated application, but
0: yeah. make
2: it stupid dumb easy to use and
0: you know. I like it. I like it. Uh, um, so uh so yeah so i I think that's where we'll leave it for today uh sort of optimistically pessimistic how's that
2: well if you want to round up
0: (laughs) (laughs) maybe Uh, the other way around pessimistically optimistic
1: yeah
0: yeah so um so that'll, that'll do it for the show today uh if you want to find any of the documentation, go to Curling Canada. It's curling.ca. Like I said, 29-page PDF. It's available to everybody if you want to read it. In Ontario, they have put up the Return to Curl webinar today that you can sign up for and you can watch it. It was 27 or 28 minutes or so. It's a PowerPoint that's, uh, that is a voiceover. Uh, so you can look at that as well. They also have specific documents available, the waivers in particular are available per province uh, so you can take a look at what those documents are at least the drafts of them and you can find those uh through the various sites uh, provincially as well uh but you know as we say obviously this is an evolving situation this is the first document that of, of what i'm sure will be many uh but you know it, it is it is good to start thinking about the feasibility of curling as we move forward uh, in the midst of the pandemic and we will be with you every step of the way through the summer. So please do subscribe if you have not yet. Wherever it is you get your podcast, gives the likes, ratings, helps other people find the show. Follow along as well on Twitter and Instagram, Game of Stones Pod, and of course at Curling Geek as well for not only uh, you know Grim Reaper takes on curling, but also uh, the census as that continues to evolve, Doug. Uh, I, I would encourage people to follow that.
2: Well, thank you very much, guys. This is a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, Doug. I I really appreciate your time uh, today uh, and your experience, your expertise at the club level. You know, on on the show, certainly during the season, we focus way more on the elite-level curlers and the events that are on TV. Uh, But, you know, it's good to have somebody who has that experience in the trenches and knows this space uh, a lot better than Scott and I. My pleasure. And Scott? Stay cool over there, buddy. Thanks, man. I can turn my AC back on now? Yeah, go for it.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right on. All right. Stay uh, stay warm. Stay safe. Or stay cool. Stay safe, everybody across the country and around the world, wherever you are. We'll be back with you next week. But until then, keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.